All right, everybody. Hymn 556, we'll sing the first five stanzas, one through five. said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, salvation, sin and sorrows, him free. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. Because you have so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, 
to suffer and die for our salvation. Grant us a firm faith in you that we might rest in the sure and certain promises of the gospel, which cannot fail us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice is a great Reformation hymn, the text of which is Martin Luther's. It is autobiographical in nature, the first verse of which announces the wondrous gospel, calling all Christians to rejoice in what God has done in the gift of salvation by his right arm, Jesus Christ. Then stanzas two, three, and four are autobiographical. You know, fast bound in Satan's chains I lay, death brooded darkly o'er me, sin was my torment night and day, in sin my mother bore me. Yea, deep and deeper still I fell, my life became a living hell, so firmly sin possessed me. I will never forget... Well, I'd sung the hymn before. I'll never forget the use of this hymn in Lutheran Confessions at the seminary with Dr. Robert Preuss. And he, with his fingers outstretched like this, teaching the article of the Augsburg Confession on Original Sin, quoted this stanza and the rest of the hymn. And that made a profound impact. If you knew anything about his home with his large family, every night there were devotions, the reading of scripture, and the singing of hymns. And they knew the hymns by heart. And that is the greatest way to both preserve and pass on the faith to the next generation of Christians. So I commend this to you. We've got five stanzas this week. We'll have the remaining stanzas upcoming. It's great for this Reformation week to also have 2 Corinthians 5.21 as the verse for the week. It's also wonderful because it corresponds with the second article of the Creed, and we're in the second week for that. Let's speak 2 Corinthians 5.21 together. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, of course, the hymn here, not H-Y-M-N, that's the other one, is Christ, the Son of God. So God made him, so this is the Father made him, Christ Jesus, his son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, that refers to Christ. Okay. What's interesting, among other things in this passage, is in the English, we supply those words, to be. But in the Greek, God made him who knew no sin, sin. That's the force of it. God made him who knew no sin. He made him sin for you. Which means that the sin of the whole world, your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world was imputed to Christ. God made him who knew no sin, sin. Now, we add the to be because it helps us in the English to understand. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
So in the Psalms, when you're praying these Messianic Psalms and you hear the words and it's like these words belong into Jesus' mouth, but yet he talks about his sin and being chastised. Well, Jesus committed no sin, but his sin is your sin. And the sin of the whole world laid upon him. And as I mentioned earlier this morning, this phrase, the righteousness of God, is that God offered up his son in the death of the cross to make atonement for our sin. That's the righteousness of God. I can't, I can't recite this verse anymore without thinking about a colossal grammatical mistake I made on issues, etc. some years ago, trying to, I, quoting it from memory, except the memory fails. The righteousness of God, so, dikaio sine tu theu, in him, it's en auto, because the preposition in, en in the Greek, it sounds almost the same, takes the dative case, en auto. And I woke up in the middle of the night realizing, I misquoted the passage. I said, dikaiu sine tu theu en autu. It's not, that's incorrect. It's not, it, it's, it, because it's the dative case within. So it's dikaiu sine tu theu en auto. Auto is the dative case for him. A little more information that you wanted, but <laughs> Pastor Christensen can, uh, and Pastor Gelbach know what I'm talking about, but I honestly, I woke up in the middle of the night and said, I misquoted the passage. All right. Anyway, so that's the verse for the week, and Reformation Day itself is the 31st. Uh, that is on Tuesday. So there's the additional reading, the Romans passage, about by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. All Saints Day is Wednesday, uh, and the gospel reading, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, is the gospel for that day, and we will be uh, hearing that on Wednesday night for the divine service at which we will also remember the faithful departed who have gone on before us. We are now in the section of the Old Testament readings, the conquest of Canaan. If you have access to... Um, Issues, etc., Lutheran Public Radio. I would recommend uh, Dr. Thomas Egger's uh, presentation on the conquest of Canaan that was last week. It was a talk that uh, Todd Wilkin did with him because of a Lutheran Witness article. But since we're in that section uh, on the conquest of Canaan, I think it's an important discussion. So you have a, a prayer on the second article of the Creed for this week as well as the two collects for both Reformation and All Saints. All right. We now turn our attention to our family life and marriage retreat. There is handed out for you a schedule of 18, I guess, um, topics. These topics will be followed more or less in sequence. because of how I've conceived of this, instructed it. So there'll be things that we talk about in the future where we're laying the foundation for it early on. 
and we'll return to some of these themes. I don't want to stifle your questions uh, throughout the study. Uh, I didn't put dates next to these. We will begin session one today, the gift of family, life, and marriage, God's wonderful order defined and protected by the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments. But if we need more time on a particular study, and it's my plan to have a handout for you for each of these 18 topics, um, and if it seems as if there needs to be more, we can, we can do that. I certainly want to address contemporary issues and challenges. It is also in the spirit of the St. Peter option when we talked about that. For us as Christians, it's not simply that we are against things. It is that we are for things, and we are for God's order, and we are for God's design. We are for God's gift of family as he has ordered it. We are for God's gift of life, the sanctity of life, the holiness and goodness of life, the corruption of original sin notwithstanding. We are for marriage between a man and a woman as God ordained it. Uh, but we live in a fallen world, and this fallen world since the time of Adam means that sinful human beings have seized upon aberrant desires and aberrant wills, insisting that this is the way to fulfillment, that this is the way to happiness. And it's simply not true. I want to give you in these handouts, I, hope you, I want you to take them home. I don't want you to just have them here and then put them back on the, on the music stand. But write your name on it, if you will. Take notes, if you will. Uh, you may have questions that come to mind after thinking about, cogitating upon what the discussion was. Some of those questions you might want to reserve for a private conversation. That's totally fine. Some of them you may be so bold as to ask during the, during the Bible class, okay? But um, as you've already heard me talk this fall, at least, I've, give, I've been given a greater appreciation for the interrelationship between the commandments, their interdependency, and particularly with the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandment, how they are describing, alluding to God's order, God's design. I certainly remember that as a kid, I didn't think of the commandments as being related like that. You know, honor your father and your mother. You better do that or you'll get the wooden spoon on your backside. Um, you shall not murder. Murder's wrong. That includes hatred. Okay? Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Committing adultery is wrong. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. But didn't give much thought to the relationship between the three. As a pastor in studying Luther's catechisms, particularly the large catechism, highlights it explicitly, but then you see it in the small catechism, that God wishes to protect his good gifts. So therefore, the commandments are also defining his good gifts. 
And you may have heard me mention to you recently how the fourth commandment, you know, what is the good gift, I only conceived of it God's gift of authority. It includes that. God's gift of authority in parents, which is the building block for God's authority in the civil realm. And that's true. But when you hear the commandment itself, honor your father and your mother, though the explanation doesn't mention sons, daughters, children, if you've got a father and you have a mother, by definition, there are children. Okay? If, and it's correct, as the Bible teaches, that the authority of father and mother also includes the authority of civil rulers, then civil authorities, even though not uh, mentioned, also implies citizens, earthly authorities. One of the things that Luther mentions in the large catechism under the fourth commandment is not only the obligation of children to honor and obey their parents, or citizens to honor and obey the civil authority. What he talks about is that commandment lays before parents and the civil authorities a sacred trust and responsibility to be good parents, to be good civil rulers. Why? Because they stand in God's place. You know, if you're representing God, then that, there is no greater responsibility, is there? So I think parents in general tend to think of, you got to honor me, because the fourth commandment says honor me. Well, that's true, but what does it obligate father to? What does it obligate mother to? What does it obligate the civil ruler to? That understanding injects into those offices humility, which is a good thing and an important thing in order to function in marriage and family. So under the fourth commandment, it's a lot cleaner, I believe now, to say not simply does God protect his civil authority, but God wishes to protect family. And isn't it a wondrous thing? Sometimes it takes the horrific aberrations that attack God's order and design to sharpen our thinking. Is, is family being attacked today? Yes, it is. The authority of fathers and mothers to raise their children, to learn about the desires of their children. Okay? There are some places that if a child wants to change their sex, I'll put that in quotes, which is impossible to do, medical facilities schools are withholding that information from parents. Unbelievable. Something that we never thought would happen. Okay? So we should not apologize as Christians for the fact that family includes a father and a mother who are to be husband and wife, sixth commandment, through whom life came into the world, fifth commandment, and by which that life is 
nurtured, and cared for. Okay? There's a hierarchy to the commandments. The gift of family as God has ordered it is even greater than the gift of life which is created and nurtured in family. In other words, the setting and context of the human relationships is in, from God's point of view even of greater significance than the essence of life that individuals have received. Why is that? It is so because though that life of an individual simply cannot exist and cannot be fruitful apart from the father and mother who sustain that life. I want you to let that sink in for a little bit. You all are familiar with someone in your own family or your extended acquaintances where your heart breaks for the children. Why? Because perhaps the father was a drug addict. He'd been married and divorced several times. He's fathered children, but he's also an alcoholic, so all of the responsibilities that he has as a husband and then as a father, he has totally abdicated. And what do you see? You see in the children and in the, and, and in the family as a whole a total breakdown. And your heart breaks for the life of those children. So the life of the child is sacred, but the life of the child, fifth commandment, but the life of the child is created and sustained and prospers by the family context. So we're too easily tempted to say it doesn't matter what the family is. It absolutely does matter what the family is for the creation and preservation of the life of children. Okay? So those are some of the things that hopefully these paragraphs underneath each of these can begin to get us to think about. Secondly, in here, I've got for us, like, confession and absolution strengthens us to honor our parents and the gift of family. There is, it's absolutely impossible for us to go through a study such as this and for members of the Bible class not to have their consciences pricked. because we're sinful. We fall short. So when we hold up God's order and design here according to these three commandments, it is common that we then become ashamed of ourselves for what we haven't been. So these questions of confession and absolution are intended to expose the maladies, some of which we may not have thought of before, that we might confess and be forgiven and 
that those things might be the subject matter of our prayers. In other words, if I'm a wretched husband and father, then I have something to confess. My wretchedness, self-centeredness as a husband and a father. So that I might be renewed and strengthened by Christ's absolution. And the life of faith is created by Christ's forgiveness. It's strengthened by his word. And then the life of faith that is forgiven also prays and cries out to God for the good things that he wants to give us. So it, it's a foregone conclusion, and we'll talk about it in a specific topic coming up in weeks ahead. But these studies, we need confession and absolution, corporately, but also privately. It's one of the things I try to use with couples who are having marital difficulties. We also need prayer. So confession, absolution, prayer, the public services of the congregation, and congregation at prayer, the private prayer. All of those things are part of the sanctified life whereby God guards, keeps, protects, and uplift, ups, uplifts us in his order. Okay? All right. Any questions here? John. The seal of the confession is under attack in the state of Kansas. Okay. This very moment. Okay. And uh, Missouri Senate pastors, Roman Catholic priests are binding together to defeat the legislation in the Kansas legislature. Uh, and <clears throat> John is out there today doing the Reformation service for a circuit and is doing a seminar tomorrow on how to defeat this. Okay. But I think it, it, it's really something we need to keep in our prayers uh, because if Kansas tumbles, good grief. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, the state of Bob Dole. Yes. Bob Dole, Kansas. You know it, I know it, American people know it. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, the, and, and it's, it's, it's an assault of the evil one upon the church to rob from us what the absolution does. And that's why under each of these, if you just kind of look down, confession and absolution strengthens us to honor our parents and the gift of family. Under the fifth commandment, God protects the gift of human life, but if you turn the next page... Confession absolution strengthens us to protect, nurture, and serve the gift of life. So if you're a bad parent, you need confession absolution. It strengthens and nurtures you to be a faithful parent and to be, to be better at protecting and nurturing the life that God has given you and your children. Under the sixth commandment, God protects the, protects the gift of marriage Confession and absolution strengthens us to live a chaste life as a man or woman. Um, confession executes. Confession crucifies. Because it brings the sin out into the light of day. 
But Luther said, in order to make alive, God puts to death. Those who are put to death by the judgment of God's law for their sin need to be resurrected. That's what the absolution does. Okay, so it raises to new life. It comforts and it strengthens. And yes, it does make a beginning at equipping us. Okay. So let's, let's go through these. Uh, the fourth commandment, God protects his institution and gift of family. What is the fourth commandment? Now let's be accurate. Honor your father and your mother. Now just don't just shorten it up. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. That positive description of good works that flow from faith and are the concrete expressions of love there in that last line of the small catechism's explanation. Describe what love looks like on the part of children for their parents, to honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. In the second table of the law, this is the first commandment. So Luther says in the large catechism, there's no greater work that any human being can perform among his fellows than the work of honoring, serving, obeying parents. Okay? which includes not only children when they're growing up before they reach the age of adulthood, but includes grown children. So, Angela, you can't neglect your father and mother. What's that? <laughs> Especially your father. She says, don't I know it? Okay, yeah. But... The care of, see, so, so family exists now, husbands, wives. There's a hierarchy, and we'll talk about, you know, the, how relations remain the same, but how they're different. There is simply no greater earthly work that you can perform than to care for your aging parents. Can't. Okay? No greater work. That's, that's how Luther conceives of these things. How much happier we would be, actually, if we learned to believe that. All right, so the fourth commandment calls us to believe in the sanctity of God's gift of family and to honor his authority in the home as the foundational authority in all of society and culture. The benevolent dominion that God gave to man over the creation, Genesis 1, is exercised through the authority of father and mother in the care and nurture of children. See, see, you talk about a sacred trust, right? When you're wielding authority as parents, you are wielding the very authority of God, which means it calls upon you to do so with faithfulness to the Lord's calling and attentiveness to his word. One of the table of duties sections is fathers do not exasperate your children or as the old language was provoke your children to wrath 
but bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. It's this lovely passage which attempts to describe the nuance of law and gospel in the home, the art of being a father or mother. There's discipline, there's chastening on the one hand, yet there's compassion and empathy and forgiveness on the other. So if the family life is only law-oriented, you can exasperate your children or provoke them to wrath. To be brought up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord is to be brought up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord Jesus, his law and gospel, his call to repentance, and his forgiveness. The calling of parents to discipline and teach their children is not for their own self-service, but for the welfare and benefit of their children. This is a theme that will run throughout. Is this a biblical idea or is this a worldly idea? If I were to say, my wife is not meeting my needs. Is that a worldly idea or is that a biblical idea? It's worldly. It's curved in. Same thing is true here. My children aren't meeting my needs. What are your children to do for you? Michael says, August doesn't meet my needs. I'm outside working. He shows no consideration for me. He doesn't bring me beer out of the refrigerator. <laughs> He's not meeting my needs. As if those children are given to us to serve us. They're given to us that we might entrust to them the gift of life, which is more than simply the biological life that they have received, but all that attends to it. Okay. As parents faithfully exercise dominion within the home, children learn to serve their neighbor and the proper exercise of God-given authority in home and society. That's a very important concept. As parents faithfully serve their children, now that's not the same thing as whatever Johnny wants, Johnny gets. Johnny throws a temper tantrum and then you give in to it. But serving them according to God's word, as God's representative in terms of law and gospel. Kirsten, did your parents ever deny you anything in your life? First she shrugs her whole shoulders, and then she says, yes. Did that make you a better person or not so? So you don't in the long run, although at the time you maybe didn't, you maybe didn't think so. Yeah, or even think about it, okay? So this last point, notice how just as parents are to see I am there to care for my child, to impart not only the gift of life, but that which nurtures and prospers that life. You do so that in them, by receiving what you do for them, they learn what it is to live in selfless, sacrificial love. Okay? This is a major theme under good works as 
gospel-oriented Christians. We love, finish the sentence, because he first loved us. But the love of Jesus and his forgiving word is not the same thing as, like I said this morning, be all you can be, indulge your appetites and desires, that's bent inward. Okay? What few of us realize is that self-worth and contentment come about not by having our needs met, but by sacrificing ourselves for the best interests of another, which may mean denying children what they think they need. Uh, the fourth commandment calls both parents and children, earthly authorities and citizens, to a life of fidelity, that means faithfulness, and commitment to those they serve in the exercise of God's authority in home and government. One of the things that certainly ought to trouble us about the political climate in which we're in, our politicians who are seeking office, it seems more for their own self-aggrandizement than for the service of the citizenry. All right. Let me pause here if you have questions on that paragraph. And these three paragraphs are t intended to be kind of interconnected. Angela? So there's a clear civil government part, and there's the parents, right, a family part. An interesting thing that I've been thinking about, I'll be at my company for 17 years next month, and that's the only job I've had out of college. Um, I think something interesting is co-workers who are at a company a year and a half, two years, and then they aren't, it's not what I, it's not what I want to do, it's, you know, I don't like this one guy, so I'm moving on to another company, and they're, you know, bouncing around. What do you have thoughts on there, um, in your vocation, in your, in your job, in your business? Uh, in other words, whether or not that is proper way to think well, about it? vocation, you should obviously be wanting to be helpful and serving in, in whatever your role is, how, you know, you want to make sure you're providing for your family, um, you know, doing the best job there. Yeah, the, 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 in the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. <clears throat> God wishes to protect his gift of property and possessions. But what the small and large catechism help us to see from the New Testament is that the work that God has given us to do is a work he's given us to do in service to the neighbor again. Uh, and so that, that connects with the fourth and the fifth and the sixth commandments as well. Luther is very strong on just remaining in your station. Okay, remaining in your location whatever that is. And um, he was ordered by Staupitz to go to Wittenberg and be a professor. I do like the thriving Luther movie where he says, I would be a fraud as a preacher, you know, and a teacher of God's word. Well, tough. Do it, you know. We learn best what we need to hear most. So 
there is the idea, so I gotta move on to another thing to give myself more fulfillment. It doesn't mean you can't seek another, another job, but um, certainly in my case, the blessings of ministry and faithful service could only be realized by staying in one place for over three decades. Okay. Uh, Paul, here. Uh, in this class, are we going to wrestle uh, at some length with the probability, or so it seems to me, that there is going to be a government program, uh, perhaps Marxian, DEI, or woke-influenced, uh, that's going to offer a secular solution to whatever problems that you and others bring up in the course. Well, we, we will, we will uh, I don't know if wrestle with it is the right term, because if the government passes a law, like in Kansas, uh, ministers are required to violate the seal of the confessional, they can make all the laws they want, and then I can't obey those laws. I must obey God rather than men. So in that sense, Yes, and, and I think that there is a role for Christians in society and Christians in civil office to act on the basis of their Christian faith in promoting good legislation and speaking against bad legislation. Uh, they can do that according to their faith and according to natural law. So since you bring this up now, Paul, the Ten Commandments do codify, articulate what is part of natural law. Natural law is still God's law. It is written in the hearts of human beings, and it is something that finds expression in every society and culture down through the ages as natural law has been promoted and upheld, the society and culture has prospered. As it's been ignored and fought against, the society and culture has collapsed. So in that, in that sense, you know, we argue for what is good and right because it is good and right. It's a better way to live. It's also a source of fulfillment but we should suffer no delusions that the society and culture of unbelief is going to embrace it. You know, and, and if I say that's okay, I don't mean it's okay for them not to embrace it. I mean that that's the way it is. And then we are called to live faithfully underneath it. Okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Lori. I'm going to plead ignorance. What is happening in Kansas? Uh, John said that there is pending legislation in Kansas that would require ministers, <coughs> excuse me, to violate the seal of the confessional. Pastoral confidentiality. Okay? So if you come to me and confess something that may have to do with a crime that I'm required to, according to such legislation, divulge that to the authorities. 
okay? He just brought it up because of confession and absolution spoken of here, okay? All right. So we will, um, we will pick it up here next week. Our introductions to the congregation at prayer will be briefer uh, during this series. This morning with Reformation and so forth, uh, we had about 40 minutes to the Bible class. We'll have more or less, depending on the particular Sunday. But we'll pick it up here uh, next week. Read over this, study this, take down your questions, take down your notes, and we'll continue the discussion. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.